Hello, and welcome to PwC's Accounting and Reporting podcast series. Our mission is to inform and educate accountants and other stakeholders on today's most important accounting issues. I am Heather Horn, a partner in our national office, and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we put ourselves in the shoes of the investor and analyst communities. With me today is Gregory Johnson, a director in PwC's national office. Gregory spends a substantial portion of his time working with investors and running our investor engagement program. I look forward to him giving us an inside look. So Gregory, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we actually jump into our topic and talk about investor perspectives on reporting, can you just start by giving our audience a background or some background on the work that we actually do with analysts and investors and even how to think about this audience? Yeah, sure. At PwC, we started really focusing on investors and analysts about six years ago. And that was really part of when we had the convergence projects that were really in heavy discussion with the FASB and the ISB at the time. And we wanted to get really fact-based about what investors and analysts wanted from financial reporting, where they saw challenges, et cetera. So we started doing these small group meetings with investors, and from there it just really grew into more of a fuller program. So today we do a few things. One is we do these what we call industry investor meetings, which we sit down with analysts and investors by industry. We do probably six of these a year and get their feedback on industry trends, what's coming down the pike from a standard setting uh, standpoint. Uh, We like to educate them on these things and also get their feedback. Uh, We also do a couple of other things. One is kind of like a cross-industry meeting where we get analysts and investors from across several industries, and we talk about broad topics that all of them are concerned about, such as economic, geopolitical topics. So throughout the year, we're able to get a lot of different feedback from investors and analysts. And when during this conversation, I'll use those terms interchangeably. When we say investors, it really includes analysts as well. We also are able to inform our uh, opinions on topics when we talk with analysts and investors, helps us when we're responding to requests for comments from regulators and standard setters, and it also gives us good feedback to our teams. Um, so we help the analysts and investors, uh, and it helps us as well. Yeah, it's really interesting, I think, because you think about a lot of times, I know auditors, financial statement preparers, there's sort of this nebulous, someone's using these financial statements, but you don't often or always, I guess, think about who these people are and what they're really looking for. And I know the FASB and the SEC think about that, obviously, in standard setting. But I think as a preparer or an auditor, it's also interesting to kind of think about that investor perspective and, you know, how they might be thinking about things differently than maybe you are as a preparer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other important point on that is that we often think of them as one homogenous group. And um, there are different segments of the analyst community, such as um, research analysts or sell-side analysts. You have your credit rating analysts, and you also have accounting analysts. You know, so there are different segments within that community, as well as investors. You have hedge fund investors, you have pension funds, you have governance investors um, in, in different states that are focused on what's happening with their pension fund investments. So it's important for companies to really focus on who their key investors are and their stakeholders because there's some opportunity there to engage with them to understand, number one, how do you provide them with more transparency uh, of information? Uh, Because when we talk to them, I think there's really three broad categories that come through loud and clear. Transparency, 
they want transparent information, they want consistent information, and they want information that they can compare. So when you think uh, from their perspective, they're looking at where do we make the best investment based on what our purpose is, and they get to that point by having transparent information that's consistent and they can compare it not, not only year over year from your company, but from throughout the industry as well. Yeah, that's so interesting because actually when you mentioned that we meet with different industry groups, I was going to ask you, I mean, there's obviously, or it seems obvious, that a lot of difference depending on which industry you're in, what those particular investors and analysts would be interested in. And so you must see in these meetings I'm assuming you see a lot of differences. Yeah, a lot of different perspectives by industry. Some are very narrow to industry. So uh, some of the feedback that I'll provide today is really kind of high-level feedback that we've heard across multiple meetings, not so much deep into each industry, but we get uh, really a lot of feedback from industries as well. Very interesting. Okay, well, so then with that, why don't we jump right into it and now actually move to our first topic, which would be just around the new accounting standards. So obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about the new standards, and there's a huge amount of focus from companies. And a big part of the new standards is disclosures. And so how are investors and you know the investor community thinking about disclosures? And again, how does this kind of tie into what they're looking for? Yeah, very interesting, particularly when we talk about the new standards um, that in, in the most recent years, I, I think at a high level, they want, again, just transparent uh, disclosures. And, we t- and when we talk about SAB 74 disclosures where companies are uh, disclosing the potential impact on, um, on their operations from new standards, that's an area uh, of challenge for investors and one where they want to see some enhancements. So for example, uh, if we're talking about revenue recognition, I think uh, one of the consistent themes that we heard was that there was a lot of companies that came out and said we can't quantify the potential impact for a long mm-hmm. period of time. They were hearing the same message. Or if they got um, a disclosure, it would say something like we think there's going to be a significant impact, but we can't quantify it. So that raises a couple of questions for investors. One, if you can tell us that it's it, potentially has a significant impact, you probably ought to be able to quantify something for us in there. At Mm -hmm. least that's from the investor perspective. And then uh, the the other piece that we've heard is that um, even as you get close to implementation on some of these standards, there's still not a lot of information that they're privy to from an investor standpoint. So if there's an area that, uh, that could be improved, it's just getting more timely information that is quantifiable out there to the marketplace. Yes, interesting point. So it's not so much once the new disclosures are made, but it's back to the thing no one likes surprises. And this is a case where companies have an opportunity to get out ahead of it. But I think the trend we've seen is that a lot of companies have waited until very close to the end or until the end to really give full transparent information. Yeah. And when you don't give that full transparent information, you leave room for speculation as to what is the reason. Is it because, what are the drivers for that? Is it because you don't have the people, you don't have the equipment, um, is the organization just not efficient? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of uh, consequences to not putting uh, information out in the marketplace. It's kind of like today's environment with social media. Uh, if you don't respond to social media, you leave it up to kind of the audience to decide a position on an issue. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because it's basically 
by not putting in information, you're sending a different signal yes. versus if you had put the information in. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in that yeah. light. Definitely, again, a good takeaway for our listeners. So then what other types of disclosures besides 74 do we see investors focused on? Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the beginning, there's a lot of different industry-specific feedback. But when we step back and look at kind of general areas, I think risk and uncertainties is another area where we um, hear a a fair amount of feedback from investors. Um, One, I think that they appreciate from a company standpoint when you're talking about uncertainties and risks to the organization, they realize that these are complex areas, they're moving areas, so they understand that you can't immediately take a position or let them know uh, what's going on in an area. But, um, you know, at the same time, they want information, uh, again, as much as possible, as quick as possible, and as transparent as possible. But inherently, when you we're talking about issues like, let's take Brexit, for example, an issue that you know, three months ago, we thought it would be settled. Right, right. And now it's yeah, hard to say. And now it's going further out. So if a company is operating in that environment, it puts them in a difficult situation in terms of responding to investors and letting them know. Uh, another topic like cybersecurity, for example, uh, again, uh, companies could reveal competitive intelligence by what they put out, et cetera. So investors understand that they they're dealing with those constraints. However, if there are situations where a company may have had uh, some type of breach and they're talking to their customers, for example, that means that you probably ought to be talking to the broader marketplace. So if there are conversations or disclosures going on in terms of with customers, you may want to think about your um, your investors as well in terms of putting out a broader message. Yeah, so that goes back to the point you made actually indirectly about social media is that Things do become public, and I think we saw that with some of the cyber breaches last year, that if it becomes public and your investors find out about it in a way other than you getting ahead of it, that's probably not best from an investor perspective. Exactly. And I think uh, the other area that's related to this is that when they get disclosures from an investor standpoint, we've had this feedback that it's getting more boilerplate, um, it's standard language, it's not saying much to the investor. And again, you'll hear this theme from me um, more than once, is that put yourself in the shoes of the investor. If you were trying to allocate capital like you do with your business, give them the information that they need to make really some good decisions that are significant. Yeah. So less boilerplate, more plain English, and giving some background and rationale to um, the things that you're reporting on. Uh, I think a newer area that we're hearing from investors is on trade and tariff, um, which we didn't hear much about a couple of years ago. But obviously, in the news over the last couple of days, mm-hmm. been hearing about you know tariffs and trade with China, and that's becoming a bigger conversation from investors, um, and they want to hear from companies how are we going to get impacted if there are things out there in the marketplace. There's uh, potential for shifts. Um, can you be significantly impacted? If so. Try to disclose it if you can and put some kind of fencing around it where you give them more information. So, Gregory, all these areas that we've talked about, you know, some judgment involved. So let's move on then to our, our, the next topic I had. That Are there any other areas of judgment that we've seen sort of recurring comments from the investor community? Yeah, and I'm glad you used the word judgment there because I think most of the time the general public thinks that accounting is really a black and white uh, profession where there are discrete answers, but 
um, really there's a lot of judgment that goes into uh, decision-making, reporting, and it's not always black and white. There's a lot of gray. So uh, a couple of areas where we've seen um, uh, comments come back involve segment reporting and non-GAAP reporting. So I'll give you a little bit on both of those topics. So from segment reporting, we've heard a lot from investors over the past couple of years. Um, I think the theme there is that they get frustrated from companies where there are changes in segments and they don't understand the rationale for the change. Also, when you look at an analyst who may be um, covering a certain industry, they'll look at, let's say, three different companies. One company could have their segments, and this is what an analyst told me. Uh, One company has a um, segment reporting that's many financial statements. That's very helpful. Another company may have just one or two metrics related to, or two or three metrics related to their segments, not as helpful. So again, they want to have more comparable information among companies uh, across an industry, as well as having more complete information for the companies that they cover as well. Yeah, before I move on to non-GAAP, actually Maria Constantino was here last week talking about the FASB agenda, and she mentioned the fact that the FASB has taken on a project on segments. So maybe some of these issues you know, could be addressed as part of that, but definitely an area of focus for the FASB as well right now. Oh, for sure. And I think that that's a great project from an investor standpoint because it's a pain point for them. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other um, pain points for them is when companies make changes to their segments, which I mentioned previously, um, and then they go back and recast the, uh, the financials investors want the rationale. What what is the rationale for the change? And is there a bridge that you can provide us from an investor standpoint of the old to the new that could help them in looking at the company? So again, maybe nuanced uh, things, but important from an investor perspective. Yeah. And again, that's something I think from a preparer perspective, they're just thinking, getting those numbers right and trying to make all that change, that is already often so much that then that next step of why did we make this change is probably not necessarily on their um, points of things to do. So you raise a good point there. Now, the other area that we get a fair amount of feedback from investors is non-GAAP measures. And um, as we know, they have been increasing in volume over the years. Um, More companies are are providing more and more non-GAAP measures. Um, And I think generally from an investor perspective, they don't mind information because every investor and analyst that I speak with, they say, give me all of the information. Uh, And that may be a surprise to some people in the profession. Uh, They say, give me all of the information. We know how to handle the information. They have not only people, but technology, dissecting um, documents. Um, You have uh, technology that looks for keywords, changes from period to period. So from an investor standpoint, they can deal with a lot of different uh, pieces of data. Now, their frustration with non-GAAP measures um, are that, again, comparing non-GAAP measures among companies within the same industry, where you have um, similarly titled non-GAAP measures that may not have the same components uh, to them, which uh, makes it difficult for them to compare uh, among the measures. Uh, And then also if a company changes their uh, non-GAAP measures from period to period um, without, again... Oh, yeah, bridging the gap. Yeah, rationale and explanation on that. Yeah, and, you know, something that really surprised me, referring to another one of our podcasts, I had Diane Howell here um, in April, and she mentioned some numbers that I was surprised by. And it's basically she was saying that in 2018... 
97% of the S&P 500 are using at least one non-GAAP financial member versus only 76% in 2016, but then 59% in 1996. So that's you know, a huge change. As well as the fact that it's gone from around like two and a half to around seven and a half. And sounds like what you're saying is it's not so much the number of them, but making sure you're clear and maybe even considering like what's common in your industry and you know, is there a way you can put yourself the most comparable as well as them being transparent as part of that. Absolutely, because again, you have analysts that uh, on the sell side or the equity analysts who are covering anywhere from 20 to 30 companies. So uh, they are looking for comparability and the more that they have to take different information um, and uh, put it in a comparable format, the harder it is for mm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, they're trying to be as efficient as possible, but also making sure that they get to the information that they can use. Right. So you're saying if you want someone to allocate some assets to your company, make it as easy as possible for them. Absolutely. There you go. Good way to think about it. Okay. So then, Gregory, um, I think that's it for disclosure, but are there any other topics being discussed in the investor community that we can talk to our listeners about? Yeah, I think that there are a couple of other really um, fresh contemporary topics that are out there that are on investors' minds. Uh, One is share repurchases, and that's become a really hot topic. It's been a hot topic, but over the last uh, year and a half, particularly given tax reform, Mm -hmm. um, it's become a Big topic. Um, so you had the big thing from tax reform is companies are going to save all of this money. They're going to reinvest into their organizations, etc. So uh, there was a couple of different uh, phenomenons. I think one is that uh, we saw record um, share repurchases last year uh, from companies, which um, uh, caused some consternation among some uh, people in the marketplace because there are different views on share repurchases. You know, some uh, folks think that it's okay for a company to repurchase. Other think that um, organizations ought to look to dividends more or to reinvest in the business more. Um, so there's different opinions. And I think that from a company perspective, you're not going to satisfy all of your stakeholders, but it's important to understand your key stakeholders and their views on the company. I think one theme that has come through in all of our discussions with investors is that they understand, even if they have a different position on what the company ought to be doing with the excess cash, they understand that it's a management uh, responsibility to allocate uh, excess cash. And whether it's being fed back into dividends or investing in the business or repurchasing uh, shares, they leave it as management's prerogative to do so. So we're not seeing a lot of shareholder activism in this area? I haven't. And, and I think that, again, there may be particular circumstances yeah. uh, in particular industries where uh, an investor may not view it as appropriate uh, from a company standpoint. But I think for the most part, the investor community understands that it's a management prerogative, even though they may not agree with necessarily where the company is going. Although this is a place then that we're seeing attention from legislatures. How do investors feel about that? Yeah, and I think, again, there are very few universal kind of themes of agreement. And from uh, investors, I think there's universally agreed that they don't believe that it should be an area where there is legislation or regulation to curb a company's ability to repurchase shares. Um, because they think the market ought to decide. Uh, Very interesting and touchy topic when we're talking about share repurchases. I think I I go back to what one of uh, the analysts that I speak with told me, and he said it's really based on the maturity of the organization, uh, how mature the company is and in what industry. 
You have very mature industries where, you know, a company may be in an industry where it's more appropriate to dividend, you know. Uh, or this is a like really good use of their excess cash, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you may be in another industry that's earlier in its maturity cycle where, you know, it's more appropriate to do something else. Uh, again, I think uh, they respect that it's a company uh, decision and uh, whether they're getting it in dividend or repurchase. Yeah, increased share price. They're, they're happy with that. Yeah. Okay, so then let's move to one final topic, Gregory, which would be on the frequency of reporting. And, um, you know, the SEC recently published requests for comment on earnings releases and quarterly reporting. So any insight from what kind of reaction we've gotten from investors on this topic? Yeah, very interesting topic. And I was actually excited to kind of hear what some of the reactions might be to this. And um, from U.S. investors who I I, um, deal with most, I, I think that their perspective is quarterly reporting is appropriate. They don't um, want to have less frequent reporting uh, because one, it impacts them modeling out companies and less information for them is not viewed as a positive thing. And I think uh, one other comment there is that analysts who have dealt with UK companies that they follow have indicated that they have a little challenge with only a yeah, half year. Reporting. Yeah. Um, so from a U.S. perspective, I think the, the analyst community is really more consensus of keep quarterly reporting and not make it less frequent. Now, when we're talking about earnings releases, which is another topic that I think gets mixed in the marketplace when we're talking about frequency of reporting, earnings guidance, um, again, I think the analyst community looks forward to earnings guidance, annual guidance. I think that interim uh, reporting is where I think that there is a little diversity in terms of what the expectations are. I think some uh, analysts would prefer that companies not go into as much detail uh, on a quarterly basis versus when they do their annual guidance. But again, that varies in the marketplace as well. Very helpful. So then, Gregory, any final comments or things that our listeners should be thinking about as they're now reassessing how they're perhaps thinking about their investors? Yeah, I think two uh, overall messages is one, to understand your your shareholder base and your key uh, shareholders and maybe have some communication with them. I know that we've put out some publications to companies on how to do that and uh, the, the potential benefits of it. And also to put yourself in the shoes of the investor or analyst. Uh, particularly in your sector, because you may unintentionally be not giving them information that um, they need. We've had some situations and conversations with analysts where they say, why are we not getting this information? The company can easily provide it to us. And I think sometimes going above, which we've heard uh, from analysts as well, going above the minimum requirement in terms of disclosure and really kind of giving the analysts and investors information that they can use to help drive their decision-making. Uh, a hugely important point. So it sounds like if companies stick to your initial message, which is around transparency, consistency, and comparability, and kind of use that lens as they're looking at their disclosures, as well as actually other you know, parts of their communications, that they will be well served in dealing with the investor community. Absolutely, and continue to have the conversations with your key stakeholders. Good. Well, Gregory, really appreciate it. Very interesting information today. So thanks for coming on. I appreciate the opportunity. To our listeners, I hope you found Gregory's points as interesting as I did and that the messages of transparency, consistency, and comparability of information stick with you for the next reporting cycle. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, 
or wherever you find your content. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.